welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy. First Kings chapter 17, verse one. I'm going to read you 16 verses. Okay, so follow with me along on the screen. Now, Elijah, who was from Tishba and Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Now, that was a three and a half year word. There was no dew or rain for three and a half years. That means famine. That means hunger. That means thirst. That means what you used to take for granted now becomes a commodity. Water, food, it's all a commodity. It's, the value is a lot higher. If you have it, you are rich. Because when there's famine, everything that used to be taken for granted all of a sudden has more value. It's the principle of supply and demand. Three and a half years. Verse 2. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by the Kareth brook near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat with the ravens. Everyone say ravens. Eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. How many would love it if ravens showed up at your door bringing you food when you have nothing? Hey, if you're in need, I don't care how it comes. The thing is, we ask for God to provide, and he provides in a way that we don't like, and we reject it, and we complain to God that he's not a provider. God's like, just open your door, bro. Look at all the birds on your doorstep. No, no, I don't want that, God. I, I, I want it to come. I want someone to drop a grocery bag of fresh fruit off at my house on my doorstep, pre-packaged. I want it to come from, you know, the independent grocer. I want it to come from Foodland. I want it to come from Farm Boy. I want it to be fresh. And God's like, no, I'm bringing it to you through the ravens. The answer that God has for you does not always equal the answer that you want to come the way that it comes. If God's going to provide, let it come however it comes. I, it doesn't matter how it comes as long as I'm getting it from the right source. So here God is providing for Elijah during famine with the ravens. It says here in verse 7, But after a while, after a while the brook dried up for there was no rainfall. Now there's no water. There's no drink anywhere in the land. No rainfall anywhere in the land. Verse 8. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Now as we go down into this passage, I want to say one thing. I want you to pay attention to one thing. There is no evidence anywhere in this story that God had already instructed the widow. There's no evidence. You know why there's no evidence? I'll tell you something. I'll tell you a spiritual truth. You have instruction right now and you have wisdom right now that you don't even know you have. I was sharing to our leaders earlier and team earlier in our leadership training, which you're all welcome to. I don't know why all of you aren't showing up. It's incredible. 
I was sharing to our team, though, about how, you know, we have, sometimes you're in a room with somebody, right, and somebody is pulling and drawing from the wisdom on the inside of you that you didn't even know was there. And all of a sudden, you say something that you didn't even know that you knew. Why? Because God had already given you the instruction you needed. You're going to read it. What, do I, what, what am I trying to say is that when you read the passage later on, and you see, you're going to see where she already had the instruction, but didn't know she had it. She already had what she needed, but didn't know she had what she needed. You already have what you need right now for God to be first in your life, even if you don't know you have it. You just need someone to literally, God himself, to pull it from you, to pull it out of you. You need a situation to draw it from you. How many know that when you're in crisis, the real you comes to the surface? When you're under stress, the real you comes out, right? You always know how someone's, listen, you can always tell how, someone's, how solid someone's character is when they're under pressure. Nothing new is happening, it's just what was already there. That's why, you know, when you're, when you're a bachelor or a bachelorette and you think, you know, you're like the most solid person on the planet, just get married and you'll realize how much character flaws you actually have when someone, you get what I'm saying? Or just be in a relationship with any, anybody, friendship, just have friendship and you'll realize that you're not so perfect as you think you are when you're alone, accountable to yourself. Pressure always shows the real character of a person. Let's continue on here. In verse 10. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks and asked her, would you please bring me a little water and a cup? This is like gold right now, okay? This is like gold. This is the equivalent of gold and silver. Would you please bring me, in famine, please bring me a little water and a cup. Verse 11. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, oh, by the way, bring me a bite of bread too. Does, don't you think, this is a man of God. If you know Elijah and know who he is and what he is, he represents God to the people. He's God's prophet. Don't you think that he should be taking care of the widow? Right? So here he is, God's prophet, God's man, God's representation. Just like you and I are, okay? Old covenant, there were certain people that were assigned to be as God to the people. Moses was considered as God to the people. It says it. He was God's messenger, God's voice to the people, okay? Under old covenant, these people had the anointing and the grace for an assignment, and that when that assignment would be done, that grace and that anointing would lift. Under the new covenant, we are all made priests. We are all kings and priests according to the Bible. We are all ambassadors of Christ according to the Bible. We are all representations of heaven. So we all have God-like nature within us. But Elijah, God's man, comes to this widow and he's, he, he should be providing for her and he's asking, sounds a little bit selfish. Oh yeah, and by the way, I know we're in famine. I know you're struggling. I know you're a widow. I want some bread too. Verse 12, but she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. It's like people that say, I swear I have no money. And they're at like Starbucks dropping like 10 bucks on a latte. Right? No, no, you just don't have, you have what you value. What you have, what you need for what you value. That's the reality. You have what you need right now for what you value. 
it's kind of always the scenario. Whether you know it or not, you always have what you need for what you value. Maybe you don't have money for other things, but you have money for a $10 latte. Which really is what it costs if you go to Paris Starbucks with the exchange. It's like a $10 latte. Or you go to Blue Bottle in the U.S. Anyway, so follow me here. Are you with me? She says, I don't have a single piece of bread in the house and all I have is only a handful. Everyone say handful. All I have is a handful. So, so wait a minute. You have nothing, but you have a handful. Is that something? Everyone has something. I have nothing, God, but I have something. Is that something? I have nothing, God. I have a little bit. Is that something? I have nothing. I have zero. I have something. Is that something? Well, but see, I'm saying we say this, don't we? I have nothing. But then talking to somebody else, they see that you have something. No, you just have nothing for the other thing that you were being asked to do. Maybe just change your, it's like saying I don't have time. No, no, I don't have time for this. You get what I'm saying? Our, our language has to shift. I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I only have a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. How depressing is that? So Elijah, man of God, don't you think compassion would overflow? No, God had told Elijah, she's been instructed. She has what I need her to have, enough of what I need her to have right now, to give to me because Elijah represents God in this moment. It's like the widow is meeting God. Okay, in this moment, it's like he's God's messenger, God's voice, God's prophet. So she, he, he, he had already instructed the widow without her even knowing it, saying, listen, that handful that you have, that's my instruction for you. That's all you need. If you want to break through so that this isn't your last meal, lean into what I'm about to do. Watch this. Watch this. He says in verse 13, after she says, like, I just wanted to eat this last meal, then we're going to die. Verse 13, but Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do what you've just said. So do it all. You know, pay your bills. Go to that restaurant. Pay your expenses, right? Put gas in your car, you know, right? Pay off your debt. Pay off your visa that you maxed out because you couldn't handle the desire for wanting that Gucci bag that you couldn't afford, you know, like pay off the visa, you know, do all that stuff, but, 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 this is what he says here, but, so you could do that stuff, but, I love what he says here, Elijah said to her, verse 13, don't be afraid, go ahead and do just what you've said, do all those things, but make a little bread for me first, everyone say, but first, he says, but, so you do all that. Like, that's okay. I want you to do all that. And she's thinking to herself, wait a minute, like, this is my last meal. Like, how could I do all of that and do this? It's supernatural. Yeah, putting God first in every area of your life is supernatural. There is no logic behind it. If faith was logical, if faith was so logical the whole relationship with God that we have right now would be totally different. 
there would be no, there would be no fighting opposition. If it was that logical, everybody would believe. If it made sense, everybody would believe. The reality of it is faith and the supernatural are never logical. What's logical to God is always foolishness to men. What's foolish to God or man is logical to God. What's logic to us is foolishness to God. What do you mean? Like, you know, save and increase? No, no, no. Be generous and I'll increase. That's logical to God. Logical to us is save and hopefully we'll get increase. That's foolish to God. God's like, no, no, no. Look what I did. I gave everything. I died for you. I gave everything. Everything you have right now, whether you know it or not, is mine anyways. You're just a steward. Know what a steward is? A steward is not an owner. A steward is a manager. A manager just manages what they have been given. They don't own anything. He's the owner. He's the author. He's the finisher. He is the origin story. He's the editor. He's everything. We're just the reader. We're taking part in stewarding the information and stewarding these principles of truth in our lives. Now watch what happens. He says, don't be afraid. Go ahead. Do what you just said, but make a little bit first for me. Then use what's left over. Listen to this. Use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. So take what's left over and then do what you need to do. Put me first when it makes no sense to put me first and let me redeem the rest. That's kingdom thinking. Trust me with your best and let me take care of all the things you're struggling to trust me with. Then verse 14. For this is what, this is what, I love what it says here, verse 14. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, there will always be, say always be, flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. Remember, three and a half year famine. Verse 15, so she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. Verse 16, there was always, say always, always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Always. What did she do? She but first trusted God when it made no sense, and God took care of the rest. My challenge to you in this season is to put God first in every area, the areas where you're struggling the most, and let God take care of the rest. Trust God with what's best, with what's first, because you know why? What's first is the hardest part to give to God in every area of life. Human nature wants to take control, wants to occupy, wants to dominate. Human nature says, you know, I, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this. I can't, it doesn't make sense. I, can't, I don't have time for God. I don't have time to put God first. I don't have time to include God in my relationships, in my career, in my finances. I don't have time for God. And therefore, I have to do it all of myself. Listen, if you do it yourself, you'll fail. If you want to live a supernatural life, trust God with first. There's something about what's first. There's a huge chasm between what's first and what's last or with what's first and what's left. The widow could have gave him what was left, but that was not the instruction. That was not the instruction from God that came through Elijah. What was first was most important so that God could bless the rest and multiply the rest. 
this message today. Write this down. But first, I want to talk about for a few minutes, growing a healthy heart. Growing a healthy heart. We call what we're doing next week the house of hearts. This card, you got it when, you're going to get it when you leave. You don't have to be a part of this. You don't have to join in. There's no pressure whatsoever. You get to be a part of this if you want to be a part of, I believe, breaking through in your own life personally. But ultimately, remember that somebody else sacrificed for you to sit in this chair. You coming here didn't just happen without sacrifice. Sacrifice matters. Why? Because somebody along the road, whether it was last year, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, somebody sacrificed financially so you could be sitting in this chair today so we can continue doing what God wants us to do through the House of Kingdom culture. But more than that, what makes a healthy heart is trusting God with what's often the most hard to trust God in, in our finances. What makes a healthy heart is breaking through because we trust God and seeing the realities of what trust in God looks like. You've heard so I love the story of Cindy and Eve. I love that. They write down what they're believing for and they, they, she, he gives the very thing that he needs to buy the house. He gives it. Trust God with it. And I'm not saying you got to do that. You got to follow you, what God is speaking to you. But he gives the very thing he needs, like the widow, gives the handful that she needs to make her last meal for her son. She gives it, and what does God do? God gives her a lasting supply. What does God do for Cindy and Eve? Gives them the very thing that they've always dreamed and wanted. It doesn't make any sense, you guys. But that's God's sense. It makes no sense. I love it too. I think it's amazing. Matthew 6 verse 21 says, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. What do you most value? What do you most treasure? Your heart is there with that treasure. Is your treasure, I want to ask you this question. Write this down if you're taking notes. Is your treasure in what you are going to get or what you're going to give? Because the widow, this was her issue. She was being challenged with this. She was looking forward to the last meal she was going to get. Remember? I'm looking forward. I'm gathering a few sticks. Some, I have some bread left over. I have some flour left over. A little bit of oil in a jar. I'm, I got some stuff. I got a little bit of water. I'm going to make this one last meal. I'm going to get this one last meal with my son before I die. She was looking for what she was going to get. And a God comes in the form of a man named Elijah and says, listen, if you would make it a priority to look forward to what you're going to give, I will give you everything that you're longing to get. Are you hearing this this morning? This is what it's all about. Next week, people and their families are going to come down. My kids are involved in this. Kids are involved in this. We're going to have communion next week. We're going to pray. It's going to be amazing. You're going to bring your, your, your prayer requests. We're going to pray over them. We're going to make this a family moment. Once again, if you don't call this your home, you don't have to be a part of that. Just be here. Be present because I believe you're in an atmosphere of faith. In moments like these, you're in an atmosphere of faith. So many are making massive sacrifices that make no sense but that to God make the most sense. Remember this, God does not need your money, doesn't need your time, doesn't need your gifts. He doesn't need you to stroke his ego with your worship. God wants your heart. He just wants your heart. 
You know, Matthew 6, verse 24, he addresses two things. He said, you're either going to love God or you're going to love money. There's only two options. Why? Because Timothy talks about how the love of money is the root of all kinds of what? Evil. Money is not evil. It's the worship of money. It's when money becomes a God. All kinds of junk comes out of that place. All kinds of evil things that you're living right now, I'm telling you, you don't even know it. It's because you worship money and don't even realize it. You think money's not even a part of the problem. No, no, I'm telling you, so much of the problems that we face are because money is our God and not Him. It's the root of all kinds of evil. All kinds of stuff that we're facing in life right now, I'm telling you, is a result, whether you know it or not, from the warning that Paul wrote to Timothy, that the love of money, tell this to the people, that the love of money is the root of all kinds of stuff they're going to face. All kinds of evil. Money, though, is not evil, but it's the worship of money, putting money as God above God. When we don't trust God with our handful, we put money above God. You hear that? If the widow did not trust God in that moment with her handful, in that moment, she would have put money above God. Money was her God. Forgetting that there is a source that it all comes from any, anyways. He's the God who owns a thousand hills or the cattle on a thousand hills. You can't even see the provision that he has for you. It's all his. It's not about the size of your gift, it's about the size of your sacrifice. Sacrifice feels like something. I've said this before, I'll say it again. The Bible is full of incredible truth concerning these things. There's 500, write this down, 500 verses on prayer. 500 on faith. Over 2,000 on money and possessions. Jesus talked about money in 16 of his 38 parables. Do you think it was important? Why? Because it's a God. The love of money is a God. Jesus taught more on money than he did on prayer. Isn't that mind-blowing? So why wouldn't we teach about it in the church? I have no issues talking about money. You know why? Because it's changed my life, trusting God with my money. It's changed my life. I'm going to share it with you because it's the antidote for so many issues. So much dysfunction. I have never yet try to introduce me to one. I have never met a dysfunctional, messed up, all over the map person that has trusted God with their money for years. There's a stability about them. God has been first in their lives, in this area. Why? Because it's the most important thing in our life. Why does he talk about it? It's a God. What are we serving? What do we think about the most? What stresses us out the most? Think about it for a second. What gives us the most anxiety in the Christmas season for many people? It's having to spend all this money and the pressure of having a good Christmas and not having enough money and then maxing out our credit cards and having the ideal scenario and this pressure, right? Where does it come from? What's it pushing on? This God of money. Are you still checked in? <laughs> 1 Timothy 6.10, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Remember, I want to, if you're willing to step out in this season and trust God with what's first, I want you to text that number before the end of today. And we have something we want to give you that I believe will revolutionize your life. So back to my subject here, but first. Everyone say, but first. 
since the beginning of time, it's been about first. In the game of baseball, listen to this for a second. To get to home, to score a run, what do you have to do? What base do you have to go to first? It's not a trick question. If you skip first and go to second, what happens? You know how many believers want to skip putting God first in their finances and get home? And get all dysfunctional? And they get mad at God because something's not working out in their life. It's all disorderly. When there's order, there's health. When your body is aligned, that's why you go to the chiropractor, go to a massage therapist. When your body is aligned properly, order and health happens in the body. When things are out of alignment, things are out of order, what happens? Sickness, issues, other issues begin to happen. When you understand what's first, you understand the order of things, you'll get home. You got to get, you got to go through first to get to second. Listen, if this is bothering you because God's trying to speak to you right now. I want to see this house get to a place where we're so healthy in our heart in this area. You can talk about this for 20 hours, it doesn't bother you. I love this stuff. Why? Because it's changed my life. It's like talking about healing. Someone that's been sick for 20 years. Talk about healing, it can be, it can rattle them a little bit because they've been sick for 20 years. It doesn't mean we stop talking about it because we're always going to believe that it's God's will to heal you. They don't stop talking about it because I want, oh, maybe, maybe somebody's getting really rattled right now and really offended by what I'm saying. No, it, I'm just the messenger. Take it up with management. If you don't like it, I'm just the delivery guy. I'm giving you the 2,000 verses that Jesus focused on. I'm giving you the weight of what he focused on. When you all want to talk about prayer, I'm talking about money right now. To get home, you got to get to first. See, for the widow to get home, to score, to live with her son and have plenty left over and meals for the next three and a half years, what did she have to do? But first, she had to give to God. She had to trust God with her hand for it. He's seeing this, you guys. And this is what got her home. This is what kept her healthy and strong. It was protection for her. It says... But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid because you're going to be afraid to use what you have as a handful. It's going to be fearful. You're going to struggle with it. Go ahead and do what you want to do. Everything you want to do is in my heart for you to do. But let me have what's first. To pass through first. To pass through second. To pass through third. You got to do this. You want to pay your bills, but first. You want to go to that restaurant, but first. You want to go on that trip, but first. You want to buy that car, but first. That house, but first. Think about it for a second. Why, what do you think is going to happen if everything else in life is first but God? You're wondering why God is just not present or maybe are not speaking to you. Listen, it's not about works, you guys, but it's about order. Matthew 6, but seek first, what does it say? The kingdom and all the things that you're freaking out about will be taken care of for you. You're wondering why you're freaking out so much. I'm telling you, if you learn to trust God with what's re the rest and give God what's first, it's going to change the game for you. And it's the only thing in Scripture that you can actually test God with. You try it. You step out. I'm talking about the most non-controversial, controversial, life-changing topic. You know what that is? Putting God first. It's the most non-controversial, controversial topic. 
Why do I say it like this? Because in God's mind, it's not controversial. But in human nature, because you're exposing a God that's ruling a people, it's controversial. You're exposing a golden calf. It's uncomfortable. Ooh, I like it though. Let's kick that cow to the curb. Let me just give you some, some scripture here. We have what we call the firstborn. Everyone say firstborn. Exodus 13, the Lord said to Moses, dedicate to me every firstborn among the Israelites. The first offspring to be born of both humans and animals belongs to me. This was something in this time that was so crucial. The firstborn son always had a double portion of the inheritance, had the father's blessing, had a special place in inheritance and lineage. And it's all a picture. Everything in the Old Testament literally brings our focus to the new covenant. Everything. It paints a picture of what, who Jesus is and what he is and what he's going to do for us. The firstborn was to be dedicated to God. Now, write this down if you're taking notes. According to Old Testament law, the firstborn was either to be sacrificed or redeemed. What, I mean by, what do I mean by that? When God wanted a sacrifice for sin, it had to be a firstborn clean animal, a blood sacrifice. But if the firstborn wasn't a clean animal, didn't have, in a sense, like it wasn't corrupted or disrupted, there wasn't any issue, if it had an issue then another firstborn clean animal had to be sacrificed to redeem the one that was unclean. The clean had to be sacrificed for the clean. What was Jesus? He was a lamb. John 1 verse 29 says what? Jesus sees, John the Baptist sees Jesus, says, it says this, on the hill coming down to get baptized, he sees Jesus and says, behold, the lamb of God, what does he say? Not the lentil of God. The lamb of God Behold the lamb, not the lentil, uh, who takes away the sin of the world. He is the clean firstborn to redeem the unclean. We are unclean by our sin. Here he comes, sinless, as a sinless sacrifice, dying willingly to clean up our act. Do you, you see this right now? He's the firstborn, okay? The firstborn. The firstborn was clean to sacrifice the unclean. Like I said, John 1 verse 29. This is a picture of the gospel. The perfect Jesus, the man Jesus, holy in all his ways, died a sinless sacrifice to redeem us who was unclean. He was the firstborn. Now God called Israel as a people his firstborn. Exodus 12, Exodus 13, you can read that, I don't have time for this. But remember the story of Pharaoh, okay? Pharaoh means iron, everyone say iron. Okay, iron, it's like chains, it's like bondage, represents bondage. For 400 years, every pharaoh had been holding God's firstborn in bondage. 400 years of slavery. Remember this? Israel was held captive in Egypt as slaves. So pharaoh, bondage, stubbornness, was holding God's first, what was his. As a result of him holding what was first, what ended up happening to Egypt? You remember the story? Because they held the first, what ended up happening? Egypt lost their firstborn. You know why? Because they held God's firstborn. You see, when you hold what's precious to God, you lose what's precious to you. You forfeit your own soul. What did Moses come to Pharaoh? What, what was Moses' message to Pharaoh? Let my what? Let my people, let what's God's go. Release it and you will have no trouble. What ended up happening to Pharaoh? He had lots of trouble. Why? Because he did not give to God what was his, the firstborn. The first. 
You see what I'm saying here? So, so, so then Egypt loses their firstborn children. Why? Because they were holding God's firstborn. What protected Israel in that time while they were in Egypt when the firstborn children were be take, take, be, being taken out? What, what, was, what was protecting Israel? The blood on the doorpost. That blood on the doorpost, you know what it was? It was the blood of a firstborn sacrifice. When you give God your first, it protects your house. Do you see this? When you trust God with your first, it's like putting blood on your door. It protects your house. Oh, man, I could go there. I could go deep there. We're not ready to go deep today. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Let me go back here. Let me, let me go to this. Colossians 1 verse 15. It says of Jesus that he is supreme. He's first in rank. It says that he's the image. Everyone say image. Of the invisible God. The firstborn what? Over all creation. So Jesus is the firstborn. This is where we get the English word prototype from. The Greek word broken down gives us the English term prototype. He is the prototype. He is the firstborn. He is the living stone that every other stone is supposed to look like or set in reference to when building a house. He is the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, the first. You with me here this morning? Jesus is our firstborn. He is first. He is supreme. Colossians 1 verse 18 says this. He is also the head, the life source, and the leader of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So that he himself will occupy first place. Everyone say first place. He will stand supreme and preeminent in everything. He is to be in first place. He is to be the first base we run to. If we want to get home, we want to score in life, we got to go through him. He is the way to the Father. What does he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way home. You want a home run? You want to run home? I'm the way home. I am first base. Romans 8, 29, for God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In other words, he would be the model that everybody after him would follow. The firstborn is always the standard. Prom when we had our first daughter, Promise, she was like the standard. She became our expectation for the rest. We wrestled for her. We wrestled for our promise. She was supposed to be born premature. Doctors said she might not even make it. At 24 weeks, Michelle had an infection in her blood that was moving into her blood from her kidneys. They said she wasn't going to make it. We had the world praying. She was our firstborn. We wrestled for our promise. When we got our promise, she came full term, fully healthy. She became our standard of what it looks like to put God first with our first and trust God with what we have. Genesis 4 verse 2, speaking of Adam and Eve, Eve gave birth to a son or people, or two, two sons, Abel and Cain. Listen to what it says here. Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some, everyone say some, of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the what? So what's the best? The firstborn. What did Cain bring? Some. The leftovers. Not the most important, not the choice part, not the chief part, not what matters the most. He gave what was left. Listen to what happens. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but did not accept Cain and his gift. Why? Because of the motivation. 
God doesn't care about your gift. He cares about your motivation. Your gift is accepted or not accepted based upon your motivation. Based upon the why you do what you do. God, listen, you could have the biggest house, the biggest, the best car, the most amazing life in the world. But if you did not get there with the right process, it's only a matter of time before you live miserable. But if you know that you did the process the right way and got to where you are because you went the right way and you did, did things right, you're going to be able to enjoy what you have. Because God cares about the motivation, the problem, or the process. Let's continue on here. I'm speed talking right now if you notice this. The first commandment. Okay, so, so listen, we got the firstborn. We have the first commandment, Exodus 20. You must not have any other God before me. In other words, you're going to have a lot of options. First commandment, the first of ten commandments. What was it? The first one, what was it? The first commandment, what was the first commandment? You will have no other God before me. What does Jesus address as a God in Matthew 6, verse 24? The love of God or the love of money? Two gods. Who is sitting at the Last Supper on either side of Jesus? John the Revelator, who is said to be the most loved disciple, who is pictured and represents the love of God. On the other side of Jesus, who does he have? Judas. What does he equal? The love of money. What did Judas do? He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Money crucified Jesus. The love of money put Jesus on a cross. That's what it will do for you. You'll serve money, and guess what? It will serve to you your death sentence. Judas served money, put money first, not God first, sat right beside Jesus, rubbed shoulders with the Messiah himself. He betrays him for 30 pieces of silver because he loves money more than Jesus. And how does Judas's life end? Suicide. Money will take you out. You serve money, it will serve you up a death sentence every time. We have the first commandment. Now we have the first fruit. Write that down. The first fruit. The first fruit. Proverbs 3 verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruit. Everyone say first fruit. Of all your increase. So that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Trust God with your first. Honor the Lord. It's part of honoring God is honoring God with our first, our best, our choicest part. When first things first, the rest is blessed. Say that with me. When first things are first, the rest is blessed. Malachi 3 verse, verse let's go to verse 10. Talks about the first 10%. says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. What's the storehouse? The place where you're getting fed. Bring all the toys. You know what fed the widow? Was actually God and Elijah. You know why? Because the act of faith from the widow to God and Elijah actually brought the multiplication and provision she needed to live. Do you see that? Malachi says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Tithe means first 10% into the place that's storing up treasure to give to you so you're strong and healthy. It continues on saying, if, it says this, it says, test me in this. Try me in this. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing that will not have room enough to even receive it. He says, give me your best. She says, give me, Elijah says, give me your best and I'll take care of the rest. 
verse 16 of chapter 17 of 1 Kings, there will always be enough flour and oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. It kind of sounds like if you trust God with your first, if you trust God with your offering, he'll take care of the rest, and you'll not even have enough room to receive it. If you're sitting here today and you're like, you know what, I don't know if I believe that, you'll never know until you try, until you step up. That's why he says, try me in this. Test me in this. My challenge for you, even in this house of hearts, maybe you've never given before, maybe you've never stepped out, try, test God in the tithe. First, before you pay anything else, trust God with it, watch what he does with it. There are lots of people in this room that have been living that. I can attest to that. The life transformation. I was talking to somebody not too long ago, and they were saying how the moment they had a revelation, and it came through somebody, that they were to step out and give God their best and tithe from their gross and not their net, it changed everything for them. Why? Because the gross is actually the best part. That's up for you to decide. It's all faith, you guys. It's all faith. It's a test of your faith. How radical are you in your faith? You want to see radical breakthrough? You have to have radical faith. Radical breakthrough, radical sacrifice. But let me just tell you this. The tithe is not a sacrifice. It doesn't belong to you. He says, return it to me because it was always mine. You get to manage 90. I have the 10. Your offering is everything above and beyond the tithe. You've never given an offering if you've never tithed. An offering is only in the realm of giving above and beyond the tithe. If you've given and it's not a tithe, it's not an offering, it's simply a gesture, it's a, it's a gift. Almost the equivalent of a tip when you go to a restaurant. What do you do? You're giving her a tip. The girl a tip, right? I think I'm striking something in the spirit here. I don't know. Are you guys here? We, we here? Man, I don't got a lot of time left. This could be a whole school. You see it everywhere, Genesis 28. You see it in Genesis 14. Jacob in Genesis 28 comes to the faith, comes, encounters God, says this is none other than the house of God, and says, I'm going to give you. If you promise to protect A, B, C, D of my life, I will give you in thankfulness a tithe of everything that I get. You want to, something really cool that I love, if you're reading, Israel comes out of the, out of bondage, out of wilderness season, and the first city they go into, you know what it is? It's Jericho. The first city that they conquer is Jericho. What happens? The walls come down, right? That was the first fruits. That was the first conquered city. God said in that first conquered city, all the spoils are mine. Every other city, spoils are yours. But the first city, the first fruit, it's mine. It's the firstborn. Joshua 6, you can read about it. Don't touch the stuff. It's mine. They conquer the city. They step out in faith. God breaks the walls down. It's supernatural. They get all the spoils. What happens? One man takes for himself. And guess what happens next? They lose the next battle. Because they did not trust God with what was first. They took out of fear of not having enough. And that fear, fear never equals breakthrough. Faith is the only thing that equals breakthrough. Because they did not trust God's word in trusting me with the spoils that come from this first battle, they lost the next battle. You can read it in Joshua 7. Let me end with this. 
before I get in too much trouble, the first rule, Frozen 2 is coming out today, or it's already out, which is an awesome movie, by the way. But the, fir- the, the, the first rule, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the very, very beginning. This is mind-blowing. The very, very beginning, Genesis 3, okay? I know this is heavy. I'm giving you a lot of scripture today. Genesis 3, verse 1. Let's go there really quick, okay? The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat from the trees of the garden, the woman says. Verse 3, it's only the fruit from the tree where? What's the middle? The place that gets the most attention. What's the middle? The center. The first. The thing that catches my eye the most. The thing that when I get paid stands out the most. You hear what I'm saying? Guys, this is in the beginning, okay? Listen to how God has set up shop from the beginning. The tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat, God said, you must not eat of it or even touch it. Why? It's mine, my tree. All the 90% of every other tree in the garden, you can eat and do whatever. You can frolic, nudist colony style. You can frolic, hang out, do whatever you want to do. Eat off every tree of the entire garden, but the first one is mine. Don't touch it. You can't touch this. You get it? It's mine. If you touch it, you're going to screw everything up. It's mine. I have been ordained by the, since the beginning of time to be your first. But you have to choose that. That's why in the garden, God gave them a choice. Because love is not a, a, a demand. It's, it's an invitation. So love gives them a choice. You can, you can take what's mine and lose. Or you can take everything else that's yours and win. Just don't touch what's mine. What's his? The first. The first is the tithe. It's his. It's the firstborn. You can't touch it. When you don't touch it and offer it back to God, return it back to God every day, guess what happens? It redeems the rest. Remember, a firstborn is sacrificed. You sacrifice the desire to touch it. You sacrifice the desire to use it. You sacrifice the desire to eat of the fruit of what's not yours. And what happens? It redeems the rest. So I get to enjoy the rest and be fruitful and multiply by sacrificing, you hear what I'm saying? Not even that. Returning to God what's already His. I don't know if you're, if you're hearing this. This is mind-blowing. He says, you must not eat it or touch it. If you do, you will die. The serpent says, you won't die. You touch it. Come on, man. Pay your bills. You won't die. Don't trust God. You know, give God what's left over. Because if you do that, we're, we're like, we're friends. We're buddies. This is, I'm just being straight up right now with you. I want to see you break through. This is not about me. This is not about this house. God doesn't need your money. God wants your heart to break through in an area where I guarantee you so many struggle with it. It's like a God. We can't put him first. It's a struggle. It says this, the serpent says, you know, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Man, I don't want to know good and evil. I want to know perfection. That's all they knew. They didn't know evil yet. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. I don't know today where you're at, but like the widow, 
her only job was to put God first with her handful. There's no demand for this. There's just a get to. If you want to break through, I'm telling you, this is the antidote, a starting point.